Today's scripture comes from Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17. You can find it in your bulletin or in the screen behind me. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, this wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Sydney. Um, what, what was the last piece of clothing that you can remember buying? Really remember. I mean, you, you, you can paint the whole picture in your mind. You, you can remember where you were, what you were thinking, what you were feeling when you, when you picked it out, when you put it on for the first time. Well, if you're like me, most of your clothes shopping experiences, if you've ever even been clothes shopping, uh, most of your clothes shopping experiences are probably largely fairly unforgettable, but there's one, one moment 10 years ago that I can still remember. It was when I bought my wedding suit. Uh, I was in grad school. Uh, I was broke. I had a $100 budget to buy a wedding suit. And so I went to Sears in the St. Louis Mall. I went to the clearance rack and started rifling through them until I found, there it was, this navy blue suit that was the one. And, and I can still remember being in the, in the changing room there and having this, this surreal moment where I realized when the day came to finally put this on, everything was about to change. I was suddenly going to have this new belonging, this new status, this new relationship. Everything was going to change the moment I put that on. Well, the gospel actually works just like that. The gospel is, is about getting a whole new wardrobe. It's about putting on a whole new set of clothes. That as Isaiah 61 says, it's about getting clothed with salvation. 
It's about God in Jesus dressing you in his garments of grace, wrapping you in his lavish love for you. And when he does, everything changes. Who you are now at the core of your being has changed. That as we looked at last week, by grace and nothing else in the gospel, you have died with Jesus You have risen to new life with Jesus. You are seated in heaven with Jesus, and you will one day be resurrected to beauty with Jesus. That because of God's unbridled love for you in the gospel, your past is now forgotten. Your future is now safe, or your present is now safe. Your future is now bursting at the seams with hope. When God dresses you with his garments of grace in Jesus, it changes everything. And yet everything's not changed in us. No, we still have a long way to go. There is still sin and brokenness in all of us. There are still places where we let good desires get hijacked in the wrong direction or let good things capture our heart's greatest affection. There are still places where we we mismanage old wounds in our hearts or foolishly, foolishly think we know better than God. And And there is more of that inside of us today than we will ever even know about. And if you dwell on that for too long, if I dwell on the sin and brokenness still present in my life for too long, it is enough to make me cynical about myself and everyone else around me. Except for one thing. The Bible says we can change. So how do we Well, the Apostle Paul in this passage tells us, Jesus, he's how we change. Paul takes this this clothing metaphor for the gospel, and, uh, and in this passage says there's three things that we need to do to change. We gotta take something off, we gotta put something on, and we gotta let something in. And yet what sits at the center of each of those three things, what forms and fuels them and fills them with hope is Jesus. He's how we change. So let's look at each of these three things Paul says we do here to change and Jesus in them. First, Paul says to change, we got to take something off. Uh, the, the something that Paul says to take off, it isn't so much a what, but a who. In, in verse 9, most translations say something like, take off the old self. Uh, but it'd actually be better to translate it, take off the old man. You see, in Paul's mind, there are two people who most define who you are. Adam 
and Jesus. Before any of us becomes a Christian, we belong to Adam in his sin and brokenness, mistrusting the heart of God and misusing the things of God. Using things like sex, Paul says, to medicate ourselves. What we say to validate ourselves. But when we become a Christian, we, we now belong to an entirely new person. We now belong to Jesus. The only problem is we still live so much like we still belong to Adam. And so Paul says to change, we've got to take off our old Adam ways of living. That is not that easy. No, there is a, there is a real pain that comes in taking them off. Paul starts this, this whole passage that Sidney read by saying, put to death the sin in you the ways that you used to live when Adam was the one defining who you are and what you did. That's violent language he uses there. You know, Paul doesn't say, make an agreement with your sin. Work out a deal with your sin. Manage your sin. No, he says, assassinate it. Kill everything inside of you that is not like your new life in Jesus. And to do that... It is going to hurt. Uh, if you've ever watched somebody fighting cancer and going through chemo, or, or maybe you've gone through it yourself, you know a little bit of what Paul's talking about here. I mean, chemo's whole job is to kill cancer cells in your body, and to do that, it, it wears you down. It takes a toll on you. It hurts. And Paul is saying here to attack the sin in you in that same way, to kill it, to, to squeeze the life out of it here. And when we do, it's going to hurt. It is going to wear you down. It is going to be painful. Which is why I so often choose not to. In fact, I wonder if there are some of us in here this morning who feel so powerless to our sin that, that you are quietly doubting in your heart right now if this could even work at all. Maybe you're thinking right now, I, I have wandered into a faraway country right now. I can't even see home from here. Th those lists of, of sins, when, when they were read, they nailed me. I feel so defeated, hopeless, and helpless this morning. If people knew what was really here, what was really going on in my life today, they would reject me. And you know what? I don't even know if I blame them. If that's what you're thinking this morning, two things. One, hear this passage as an invitation to come back today to Jesus Christ the friend of sinners whose arms are open wide to you this morning in the gospel and who will never say to you when you come back to him, I told you so. No, he'll simply say, welcome back. Welcome home. Second, 
you are not alone. Nobody can do this on their own. There, there is no special group of Christians who are just cut from a different cloth that, that they find it easy to kill their sin. You know, we don't come to church because we did such an amazing job this last week putting to death the sin in our lives. No, we come to church every week because we didn't. The only way that we can withstand the pain of taking off our old Adam ways of living is through the power that the second Adam, Jesus, freely, gladly, fully gives us in the gospel. Paul tells us to, to take off the old Adam because as he says in verse 9, Jesus has already taken him off of you in the gospel. That the way we change, in other words, it's, it's simply by living out the implications of what God in love has done for us in Jesus. That in Jesus' death on the cross, Paul says, God has once and for all unclothed you of the old Adam, put to death the power of sin in you, and has now resurrected you with Jesus who loves you, filled you with the power of his new creation in you, and is committed to renew you day by day into the image of his beautiful, beloved son. That's your hope. That's my hope. This is where we find the power to take off the old Adam ways of living. This is where we find the power to change in Jesus. Putting to death the sin in you doesn't mean making promises to God to never do X, Y, Z sin ever again. No, it means collapsing into Jesus and God's promise to renew you through him. It means falling into the open and gracious arms of the resurrected Christ who loves you so much he is even more committed to our change than we are. Anybody else relieved by that? I am. So Paul's saying if you're a Christian, real change can happen. And it does when we take something off and then second, when we put something on. In verse 12, Paul reminds us of our incredible belonging in the gospel. He says that in Jesus, we are now God's chosen people, holy and beloved. Guys, there are no three greater names God could give us than those. If you are a Christian today in the gospel, you have been pursued, dignified, and delighted in by the God of the universe. Those three things, those are what define you this morning more than anything else you brought in here with you today. And it's from this place of security, significance, and belonging in God's grace that Paul now tells us to put something on. To therefore clothe ourselves with the undergarments of grace, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and then to put on all over all of that, like a big jacket, the outer garment of love. This is our new wardrobe in the gospel. 
which aren't so much a, a list of random character traits to live up to, but the beauty of Jesus to live into. Because who's the one person? Who is the one person in all of history who can say with integrity in their heart that they have genuinely embodied all of these things Paul names? Jesus who when we come to him in faith, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, will always be to us compassionate, not hard-hearted, kind, not critical, humble, not condescending, gentle, not irritable, patient, not pushy, who was himself love, pure love wrapped in flesh, that as one pastor in the 1800s put it, there is not a circumstance of our Lord Jesus' history which is not another form or manifestation of love. His incarnation is love stooping. His sympathy is love weeping. His compassion is love supporting. His grace is love acting. His teaching is the voice of love. His silence is the calm of love. His obedience is the labor of love. His cross, the altar of love. His resurrection, the triumph of love. His ascension into heaven, the enthronement of love. His intercession in heaven, the prayer of love. Such is the deep, the vast, the boundless ocean of Christ's love. That's what you want this morning, isn't it? That's what we're all after here today. Change comes alive in you when even more than change itself, we want Jesus. And when we put him on, when we put on Jesus, it creates relational beauty in us and through us. It creates a community here at LBC that, that in our own imperfect ways is reflecting the heart of Jesus to one another where we enter into each other's wounds with compassion. We respond to each other's hard edges with kindness. We hold each other's opinions with humility. We walk into each other's failures with gentleness. We bear with one another's fallenness with patience. A church where we're not trying to fix anybody but love each other a church of messy people by grace putting on Jesus together that Paul says is ultimately expressed in how we forgive one another when we fail at this. Just as Jesus has forgiven us in the gospel. That's what fuels it all. Uh, when, you, when you delete a file on your computer, is it really gone? No, uh, it's, it's just in the trash now. All you've done is simply just relocate it from one folder, one file to another. At, at the click of a button, just like that, you can recall it right back to where it was before. Well, I think that's how our hearts naturally assume God's forgiveness of us in the gospel works. He's forgiven my sin, but all that means is he's really just put it in the trash file. And at a moment, he can bring it right back to his mind whenever he wants to and put it right back in front of me.
when the reality that Paul has already shown us in the Colossians is this, that in Jesus, God has taken our sin. He has moved it to the trash folder. He's hit permanently delete, and he has wiped the hard drive clear for eternity. That in Jesus, God, he's double deleted our sin. He's never going to restore it back to mind. He's never going to put it back in front of you. It's forgotten. It's been forgiven. Because not only has Jesus died for your sin, but as Paul already said in verse 10, God has put on you today the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So that now in your best moments and your worst moments, God will only and always see you as dressed in his beloved son. Change happens. Change happens, Paul says, when we put on Jesus, which we can do because God in the gospel has already put him on us. That in order to forgive us, God draped over us his resurrected son, wrapped around us the beauty and glory of the second Adam forever. Meaning if you're a Christian, real change Putting on Jesus is simply growing into the clothes that God has already gladly put on you. It's like my son going into my closet, finding my old wedding suit, which I still own, and trying to put it on himself. It's filling out the garments of grace that are the risen Jesus which God in the gospel has wrapped over you already now from eternity. That's what putting on Jesus means. It means learning to fill out a new, beautiful wardrobe that God has dressed you with in Christ. So to change, Paul says, real change happens when through Jesus we take something off we put something on, and lastly, we let something in. Paul closes this incredible passage by telling us to now open our hearts and let two life-changing realities in. First, the peace of Jesus. Paul says in verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. See, something is going to rule our hearts today and every day. There's no question of if, it's just what. So what do you want it to be? What is going to occupy the throne of your heart? Who or what this morning do you want to sit at the place of all authority in your life? Why not make it Jesus today? Because what is the peace of Jesus that Paul is saying to let rule in us but the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience of our resurrected king governing, centering, and calming our hearts with his never forsake us love in the gospel. Let his peace, that peace in you this morning, Paul says, not just individually, but together. When Paul says, let the peace of Jesus rule in your hearts, the you there, it's plural. He's talking to us as a church. 
He's not just talking about individuals. He's talking about a community that is being changed by the Prince of Peace himself. A community directed by compassion, patience, forgiveness, and quick repentance when we fail at this so many times. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of that church? Change happens when we let the peace of Jesus in and when we let the word of Jesus in. Paul brings this this amazing passage to a close, saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul's saying change happens when we let in the word of Christ, the gospel, the message of God's grace upon grace to sinners and sufferers like you and me who he now calls chosen, holy, and beloved. Paul says let that word in, not slightly, not somewhat, not in moderation, no, lavishly, Richly, abundantly, let that word in. And so how do we let it in? We teach it to one another. We spend time reading, studying, and chewing on the Bible together. We, we turn it over page after page after page, seeing Jesus and his gospel on every one of them. And we sing it to one another. Now that one sounds a little odd. Why sing it to one another? Well, because letting in the word of Jesus isn't just about knowing in our head, but also being moved by it in our hearts. Uh, Rosemary Miller uh, is the, the wife of a late pastor named Jack Miller, who's a name some of us know in here. Uh, Rose Marie uh, is a woman, she's a lifelong Christian. She's had years of theological training. She's spent decades in ministry. Uh, she, she knows the Bible inside and out. She could teach more on it than most of us here in this room. And she had an epiphany one day when in the midst of ministry, in the midst of teaching all these people all these great things about the Bible, she woke up one day and realized, I know the word of Christ, but I have not really let it in. And here's how she described it. She said, I knew the lyrics of the gospel, but my heart wasn't dancing to the music of the gospel. She knew the lyrics. She had had read all the books. She spent hours studying the Bible. She could explain it all inside and out. She had all the data, but it didn't make her heart dance. It didn't make her life move to the melody of God's grace to her in Jesus. Paul says, let the word of Christ in by teaching it and singing it because to let the gospel dwell in us richly means to know the lyrics and to dance to the music of it. It means having an informed mind and an inflamed heart. It means understanding the rich theology of God's grace, but then like any good song, being moved in the core of who you are by the melody of that grace. 
It means knowing the lyrics of the gospel and dancing to the music of it in your heart, which is Jesus. So Lake Baldwin Church, let the word of Christ in. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, let Jesus in. If you've been a believer your whole life, let Jesus in. Because we can change. And the way is Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, we are, we are so needy for you. We need you right now to take these true things in Paul's words and make them real things, beautiful things in us. Let this word of Christ from Colossians 3 dwell in us richly so that we would take off the old Adam and put on the beautiful second Adam, Jesus. Do that work now in this service spirit and this week in our lives. Make our hearts dance, dance to the music of the gospel so that we would grow a little bit more into the garments of grace that God has dressed us with today in Jesus. Amen.